Again, I don't know if I introduced myself. I am Billy. I'm your campus pastor. And uh, I want to start the sermon with three words. Three little words. You ready? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Right? I don't know. We don't like those words, do we? Like, we know. We know we're not God. Like, we're not all-knowing. And yet, secretly, we don't like that we're not God and we're not all-knowing. We like to know everything. And so when we have to say, I don't know, we don't like it, but we say it a lot, don't we? We say those three words all the time. We say it so much that if you're texting someone, you don't say, I don't know. You say, IDK, right? And that covers it. And if you're sending a text to someone, you say, IDK, because you say it so much, then they're going to be like, oh, that means they don't know. Like, they know what it means. Or we don't even type IDK anymore. We have emojis. Like, this is what it looked like in the old days. Let me real fast, since it's Father's Day, I'm going to mansplain this just in case you don't, like, you're like, what am I looking at? Okay, the little dash over here is an arm, the little dash over there, you get it, and then the head in the middle, do you see it, like the, with a slanty face? All right, next. We have this emoji now. This is the emoji everyone uses. There's no guy emoji doing that. Happy Father's Day. We have this one. This is the one that your phone is going to have. So it's still, the, all these are basically a way for us to go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And there's some things like we're kind of okay saying I don't know on. So if you came up to me and you said, Billy, um, I need help with my differential equations. Can you help me? I'm going to go, I don't know how to do that. Like I've got friends, you know, like I went to Purdue guys. Like I've got those guys and they have degrees in engineering and they can help you with your differential equations. And if you're like, will you help me with my whatever, like physics? No, I don't know. I don't know how to do all that. Like I just don't. I, I don't know. And if you said, Billy, can you get from here to where? I'm going to go, no, I don't know. I need my GPS. Like, I'm all about my GPS. Used to, I've told you these stories. I've grown, just so you know. I used to use my GPS just to get to the Kroger and back from my house. Back, I can do that all by myself now. Like, I can get, I get to the Kroger after two years. I can get to the Kroger and, and back without the GPS. But if you took me, like, to Midtown, and you just like, like blindfolded me, put me in, or didn't blindfold me, just drove me down, let me see where you're going. And you said, okay, Billy, find your way home. <laughs> I'm going to go. I don't know how to get home from here. I would have to ask 100 people and just work my way slowly, which is exactly what I would. I would eventually get home, but because I'm asking lots of people. Like, I, I couldn't do, I don't know. I don't know how to find my way around. If you said, if you said to me, Billy, we ran out of coffee, what are we going to do? I would go, I don't know. We need caffeine, though, don't we? Like, we need it. We need it. So we're either going to run down to the Kroger real fast. My car knows the way. Or, or we're going to have to stop at a quick stop place and get us some coffee. But we're going to need some coffee. So I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do some. Right? I don't know. And with all those things, except for the GPS, we think they're all kind of funny things. And we can deal with it. GPS is a pretty serious thing. But the rest of them, they're kind of lighthearted and funny. The thing is, as you know, in life, Life sometimes throws some more painful situations at us, doesn't it? And sometimes you're at that place of saying, I don't know how I'm going to deal with today because I've got so much anxiety and so much depression wrecking me right now. I just don't know how to deal with it all. And sometimes you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to approach life now that my loved one has passed away. I don't know how to approach Father's Day with that. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. And some of you, there's like a whole line of them. We could go on and on, couldn't we? 
I don't know. I don't know what to do because of what the doctors are saying. I don't know what to do because of where my finances are. I don't know because of my purposelessness of where I am in life. I don't know because of my rebellious kids. I don't know because of the job situation. I don't know. We have all these I don't knows that all of a sudden starts to make you feel like you're in a bit of a fog, doesn't it? You ever been there? It just feels like you've got this fog, like all bubbling around you to that place of, I don't know if the next step is going to be off the edge of a cliff or onto solid ground. I just, I, I don't know how to, so you know the big question I want us to wrestle with today. How do you step forward into an unknown future without fear and anxiety wrecking you when you feel like you're in that cloud and in that fog in the first place? How are you supposed to do that? How are you supposed to take those steps? That brings us to our big idea today. If you ignore everything else, I want you to remember this. When you're facing the unknown, when you're facing the unknown, God's promises sustain us. When you are at that place of feeling like you are in that cloud and in that bubble, the Word of God will continue to direct and give you that foundation and give you that direction in life. And so if you're joining us for the first time, we're in this series right now on Hebrews chapter 11. So I want us to take our Bibles and open up there now. Hebrews chapter 11. Last week, we started with what's called the Hall of Faith, didn't we? The Hall of Faith, not the Hall of Fame. Well, it's like a Hall of Fame of Faith, kind of, is what it is. But what we did is we went to Genesis 4, and we talked about Abel in Genesis 4. And then we looked at Enoch from Genesis 5. And then we looked at Noah from Genesis 6 through 9. Today, we're going to continue with the patriarchs. Uh, the patriarchs would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the first fathers of the Hebrew people. We're going to look at some of the matriarchs as well. We're going to look at Joseph as well. We're going to look at all these individuals in a way that says when you are in that fog, how do you step forward in life? They are going to show us through their stories when you are in that place of saying, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move. What am I supposed to do next? They're going to show us how through faith, to continue to step forward. And there's going to be three ways they do that. The first is we're going to see that we need to seek the heavenly city. Seek the heavenly city. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse number 8 this morning. Verse 8. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so here we are in the New Testament, and we're in Hebrews, but we're talking about the Old Testament book of Genesis. And at this point in the story, here's what's happened in Genesis so far. God created the heavens and the earth. You guys know this story. God created the heavens and the earth. He said that it was good. I'm going to fast forward to, and then he created the garden, right? The garden was this paradise-like garden called Eden. And in Eden, he created man and woman in his image. He placed them in the garden. They walked with God, right? They experienced paradise in that moment. And yet, just like that, sin entered the picture. And when it did, it's tragedy that struck. God removed them 
forever from the God. There was brokenness. There was a separation between God and man in that moment. And really, we always say it's tragic. But at the same time, we get to see the awesome level of God's grace, don't we? Just the fact that as humankind, we got to continue in the story at all. There's so much grace from the Lord just that that story got to continue. And it did. And then here's something huge that happened in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, God calls out to a man named Abram. Now, Abram's name later changes to Abraham. And so you're going to hear me this morning say Abram. You'll hear me say Abraham. I use them interchangeably. So I'm talking about the same guy. If you hear me say Abram, if you hear me say Abraham, I'm talking about the exact same person. God calls out to Abraham. Abram was from this place in the Bible called Ur of the Chaldeans. And it's thought that, that where he's from is in what we would call Iraq today. But there's other theologians that say, no, I think it's actually Turkey that it was from. And so they're debating. And it's not even important for this morning. Just know they're debating. I think it's probably Iraq, but that's not even important. So here we are, Genesis 12. God calls out to him. And what does he tell him to do? He says, I want you to leave your hometown the only place you've ever known. This is the place you've known as home. I want you to leave and go to this place that you haven't been to. Look what he says. Verse 8. Abram was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. So God says, I know that this is where you're from. I know this is where everyone knows your name, but I want you to move down the road. I've got something better planned for you. And verse 8, the rest of it tells us that Abram went out from his hometown not knowing where he was going. It's incredible. I um, told you guys we're preparing for a trip to Ecuador, and that word preparing is important. We're doing a lot of work in preparation, right? We're talking to the missionaries who are there. We're praying as a team. We're raising funds. We're enlisting prayer partners, and you guys can ask questions, and we'll tell you, and I ask a lot of questions. If I'm going to go, I've asked Patty. Patty knows all about Ecuador, and I'm like, Patty, do I get to eat qui, which is guinea pig. It's like guinea pig they cook on the streets, and I'm like, this sounds amazing, and she's like, Billy, that's going to make you really sick. You can't do that, so I have to trust the people I'm with. We might try it just to see what happens, like maybe, and so anyway, we're trusting, though. There's this preparation where we're trusting those who have been there. We're trusting those who are there. But did you notice that Abram doesn't get that, does he? There's no one who's telling him, here's where you're going. He's going to think about it like a mystery mission trip. That's what Abram's going on. It is this mystery trip where God says, I have something incredible planned for you. Abram, your job is to be faithful and to go. And it says that he did exactly that. And in verse 13, it says that they were like strangers and aliens. You ever felt like that? You ever been someplace and been like, mm, this is not really home? Like, I feel kind of like the odd man out here. Like, I feel maybe like, Family Christmas sometimes is like that. You know, when all the family is there, you're like, man, there's some just things that are different. Maybe it's you went down south, and they said, do you want some tea? And you said, yeah, tea sounds great. Sweet tea or normal tea? And you're like, I don't know what you said to me. You know, and, and so maybe you just feel like, I, this is not my homeland. Like, this is weird. And there's just differences, right? Well, he's there, and, and as he's there, he feels like a stranger and an alien in that place. So how, how does he respond? Verse 8 says, by faith, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. Then again in verse 9, by faith, 
Abraham went to live in the land of promise. God called him to move out. He was faithful in doing exactly that. But what motivated it? God calls us to things all the time, doesn't he? Sometimes we're faithful, sometimes we're rebellious. Why, why was he faithful? Well, we see in verse 10, it says, Abraham responded in faith, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, Abraham realized, he looked around, and he's like the foundation of what's being built. And I would just say, I think we have to also look here, don't we? Sometimes the foundation of what's being built, it's, um, it's crumbly, isn't it? It's not built on a stable foundation. Abraham was seeking, seeking something solid. He, he recognized that to live apart from the lordship of God is a life with no stability. To live apart from the lordship of God is to live a life with no stability. So he was wanting to find this place, this city that God has built, right? He was really seeking heaven. That's what he was seeking. Later in verses 13 through 16, Scripture says this. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. That's an important line that I'd probably underline in my Bible. It says, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. So we see that Abraham from Scripture says that he never got to see that promise, did he? He never got to actually get there and experience it himself. He could see it. There it is. Like, I can, I can see the promise of God, but, I, but I'm not physically there, but I've got this promise that I'm holding on to, and I know it's there. And notice what he's looking at, though. He's not looking back at where he came from, is he? Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we, we want to hold on so much at where we've been that we keep kind of turning around and trying to grab a hold of it. But what it says is he, he kept looking forward towards God's promise. Can I just say this is a struggle for us? It, it, when the economy gets messy, when our government gets messy, what do we want? I'm going to grab onto this politician. That person's going to save us. I'm going to grab the politician. What about when personally, when personally you struggle, you know what happened? You see it all the time. You got friends like this. Maybe this is you. I'm struggling personally and individually, so I'm just going to chase after, try to make all the money I can. And money is going to be the thing that's going to, that's going to sustain me, right? That's going to be the thing, or it's going to be my body. I'm just going to try to get so physically fit and good looking so that when I look in the mirror, I'm going to be like, mmm. And then you're going to wear some of these socks, right? You know, if you didn't see, I've got on these tiger socks or my dad's day socks. They're, they're pretty spectacular. Thank you, Gabe, for the happy Father's Day. Yeah, and so I think that's what we do, though, right? We want to we wanna cling to those things that you can control, that you have your hands on. And so it's going to be on the looks. It's going to be on the fame. It's going to be on the job. It's going to be on the pecking order. We're going to chase after all that. Or relationally, what happens? When there's relational breakdown, what do people do? I'm going to chase after what I want, what I need, what I deserve. It's all about me. And the whole time, what we see from Abraham is this desire to say, I'm chasing chasing heaven. I'm chasing after my heavenly home because in this place, I feel like a stranger. I feel like an alien. This is a home. This isn't really home. I'm chasing after something bigger. 
I think the tough thing with this sermon today is um, that's a whole sermon series, right? Really, we could preach for about four to five weeks just on that topic right there. There's so much more to that. And I just want you to know, I realize that. I realize there's a lot more we should get into, but we're just going to move along to the next point, which is you need to consider God's power. Again, that's another sermon series waiting to happen. Let's look at Scripture, verses 11 through 12, and in a second, 17 through 19. Verses 11 through 12 says this, As by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So the patriarchs aren't the only ones who are faithful. You have here Sarah, one of the matriarchs, right? One of the the founders of the, the Hebrew faith. And what we see is a lot of times when we talk about Abraham and we talk about Sarah, And we talk about the promise that God gave them. You're going to have more descendants than stars in the sky. You are going to have more descendants than the number of grains on the seashore. You're going to have more than that. Oftentimes, people like me, pastors, will go, but Sarah was old. And Abraham told God Sarah was old. And Scripture tells us she was past the age. Meaning she shouldn't have been able to conceive anymore at this age. We never really talk about Abraham being old, but did you see what Scripture just said about him? It said, he was as good as dead. <laughs> That's pretty old. By the way, you guys know Pastor Chris Brooks, like our senior pastor? You guys know he's like 42 years old? I'm like, I'm not counting or anything. He's like 40. They're expecting a baby. <laughs> I am so excited for them. I think, <laughs> I think it's great. You know, they tried, just so you know, the backstory to it. They tried for like 16 years uh, to conceive and have a baby. And they've adopted kids through the years. And it seemed like once she started having babies, like they're just on a roll now. They're just going for it. So, yeah, I just, man, I tried to wrap my brain around that Thursday night after the elder meeting thinking, I don't, I don't know what I would think if Amy said, honey, guess what? <laughs> I am... Um, Mm, no, I am. Um, yeah. yeah, we've done that a few times. We were good at it. I was so young, though. Like, I was so young. Anyway, I know, I know it can be. Anyway, so they're, 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 they're at this point where God has said, this is what I'm going to do in your life. This is what's going to happen. And they're almost laughing at God, saying, well, he's as good as dead. Well, she, she's past the age, you know, and so they're, they're talking with God saying why this is probably not going to, it'd be like if you put a bench press right now. I used to love to work out when I was younger. And if you put a bench press with like 315 on it, that would be a 345 pound plates on this side and three on this side plus the 45 pound bar. And if you said, Billy, get down there and rep it out. Give me 12. I, I would laugh at you. I'd be like, it's hard enough to walk right now. Like I, I can't, I'm not repping it out. Like I'm not, I'll hurt myself. I'm not going to do Like, nope, I'm not going to do that. You know, take off two of the 45s on each side. We'll be fine, you know, but I'm not even going to try. Like I would just, I literally, I would laugh at you. And what I love is that's exactly what Sarah does to God. Like she literally just kind of laughs at God and is like, there is no way in verse 18, she's just like, it's, it's not going to happen. But then she's reminded of the promises of God. And she's faithful. 
I don't, I don't know what trials you're facing. I don't know what struggles, but she is faithful in this moment. She's reminded of the promises of God. She remains faithful. And then we see that Isaac comes along. She gets pregnant, has this baby. And this is, a, this is the shortened version. There's a bunch more to this story. There'd be a different sermon for a different day, right? A lot more to the story that then ends up birthing three really different major faiths in the world. But we don't have time for that today. So I'm just going to focus on Genesis 22. Genesis 22, they have the son Isaac. They've been trusting the Lord. It seems impossible. God shows up, does something amazing. They have the son Isaac. And that's when the Lord in Genesis 22 says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him. Again, so much depth here. And I'm giving you the fast forward version Abraham clearly would have wrestled with God. God, how could you ask this? How in the world could you ask this? And yet, he gets up early in the morning. He packs up the donkey. And off they head to Mount Moriah. They go to the place of worship. Knowing that Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, would show up my friends, he always does, knowing that God would show up. In fact, you know what Scripture tells us? Scripture tells us that Abraham was in that place of being willing to follow through and sacrifice his son because even if that's what the Lord demanded, that God had the power to raise his son back from the dead. God had the power to raise his son back from the dead. If you're not familiar with the story about the time he has his knife, the knife in his hand, ready to sacrifice his son, uh, he stopped right mid-tracks. God provides the sacrifice that saved Isaac that day in the exact same way that he sent Jesus for us. He always provides. Let's go back to Scripture. Verses 17 through 19 says this. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, Abraham knew that God was able. He knew that God was able. So where are you struggling in your life where you're going, I wonder if God is really able? Where's that struggle? I think when I talk with people, it normally comes down to one of two things. Maybe yours is something different. But normally, one of the things people struggle with where God is able is they'll say, Pastor, I've got this person in my life. And um, maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a very close relative, a very close friend. I love this person. Like most of the time, I even like them. You know, I love them and I like them. And, and, and the thing is, is when we're talking, they're great until the conversation turns to God. When the conversation turns to God, Pastor, this person, they, they, they hate the Lord. Like they hate the Lord. And then they try to dismantle everything I believe about faith and everything everyone else. They, they just, I don't know what it is, but something in them has caused them just to hate God. Pastor, I don't know if they're savable. I don't, I don't know if God can rescue that one. I think that's the first area a lot of people struggle. I don't know if God has the power to really grab a hold of that person and rescue them. The other area would be when it comes to relationships. 
It'd be that relationship that you have with your dad, the relationship that you have with, with your brother, with your sister, with that friend, with your spouse. And I've had people say, because it's, it's never something that happened yesterday, right? It's not because someone forgot to take the trash out and we had a fight. It's not that. It's something that's been building over years, isn't it? Over years and years and years and years, that conflict has happened to the point that you would say today, I don't know if it's savable. I just don't know. I just don't know if it's savable. And if that's you today, my encouragement would be this. Would you just, would you put all that on pause? Would you put all that doubt and all that energy that you're putting into doubt, would you put that on pause? Would you just consider the power of God today? Would you do that? Would you consider the power of a God who looks at Abraham and Sarah and says, I know you're past the age. I know you're good as dead. I know. But even there, you're going to have a baby. And let me tell you the power of that story of that baby. That baby is going to keep having children, and there's going to be a generation of people. And that whole separation that happened through the garden, it is going to be through the line of that child that I'm going to send a rescuer. I'm going to send a savior into the world. And I'm going to once again reunite people with a holy and loving God. I'm going to give them an opportunity to have a right standing with the Lord. Do you understand that promise? Like that's what that promise is. It's not just to have some kids. It is this is where the savior of the world will come from. He is the one who has the power to bring the dead back to life. So in that spot in your life where you're going, I think there's no hope, I don't see any way, will you just pause and consider the power of God? Which brings us to our last point today. Last point is to finish with a vibrant faith. Finish with a vibrant faith. Look at verse 20 through 22. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. He gave directions concerning his bones. And so after several verses talking about Abraham and Sarah and their faith, it starts to move on to the other patriarchs. And so first we have Isaac, right? Now Isaac, we already know Isaac is the son of Abraham. And in Genesis 27, 27, 1, it says this. It says, Isaac was old and his eyes were dim and he could not see. Meaning he was going blind by this point. He was so old, he's losing his eyesight. So we started the story with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac was just this little boy. And now he's this old man, right? He's grown, he's gone through it and he's ready He's ready to pass on a blessing because like his dad Abraham, he did not get to see the promise. He didn't see that finished product. He did not get to see the fruit. He was faithful to the Lord, but he did not get to see the fruit. And look what it says about the blessing. Genesis 27, 29. Here's what he says to his son. He says to Jacob, let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. He says, Jacob, you are now the next in line to this great nation that the Lord talked about. When you bless, uh, when others bless you, they're going to be blessed because it is through you that the promised one 
will come. It is through you that the Savior will come. That promise that God gave is now going through you. So I'm passing this blessing on to you. He also did not get to see the finished product. And so what we see next in chapter 11, verse 21, uh, Jacob follows the pattern by blessing all 12 of his sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And in that moment, the writer says that Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. He is so old, he can't even stand upright anymore. Can you see it? He's so old, he's got a staff there, and he's leaning forward, just like, I want to get that much closer to you so that you can hear the blessing of the Lord that I'm about to give to you. Because this is a blessing that my father gave to me and that his father gave to him, and we're not there yet. But let's continue by finishing well. He prays this prayer over. And finally, Joseph, in verse 22, it says at the end of his life, he made mention of the exodus and gave directions concerning his bones. He's not in the promised land, is he? He's in, we know that Joseph is in Egypt. We know that because according to the story, he is the second command over all of Egypt at this point. There's Pharaoh and then there's him because this famine that broke out across the land. But did you see what he said? He said, I've had a lot of success in life. I've done really well not home. I'm not home. So he says, well, we take my bones back to Canaan. Will you do that? Take them with you on the journey because this, this is not my home. I don't know exactly how you're going to do it. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I know that there's going to be an exodus. You're going to have to, everyone, the whole nation of people will have to leave this place to go on the journey. And I, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know this isn't my home. Reminds me a little bit of a guy that I knew in Kalamazoo. His name was Ken Frisbee. And uh, Ken was pretty dear to me. He was the leader of our senior adult class at that church. And we called that class the, the prime time. And uh, which doesn't, I don't know, when I think about it, I'm like, the senior adult class, really? Is that what we're going to call it? But that's what, they, it was named before I got there. I had nothing to do with the name. So they were the prime timers. And the, the prime timers would uh, get together. It wasn't just a Sunday school class. Our senior adults, there was probably 60 to 70 of them. They would uh, have their own little prayer list where they would pray for each other. They would go on trips together. They would get together and do potlucks together. And so I called Ken into the office to meet with him. And I just wanted him to know how much his ministry meant to me, like what he was doing. And so as we're talking, I just let him know, like, Ken, you're, you're important. You know, you're being used by the Lord to really shepherd people. You're walking alongside people in ministry. That's what you're doing. And his mouth kind of dropped. And he said, oh, well, no one's ever said anything. I just, I was just leading the class. Like, I didn't know it was all that. And I go, Ken, when, when someone's sick, who's the first person they contact? He said, well, Helen and I, his wife, Helen, they would match their clothes like, have you seen people do that? So, like, if he wore white tennis shoes, she had on white tennis shoes. They could be different brands, but they would match. And if he wore navy shorts and a red, like, polo, like, she would have on, like, colors. They would just, which was fantastic. Anytime they'd walk in the church, they always matched. And, but it was, like, during the week, they would do the same thing. It was amazing. Like, they would always, I, I want to be old one day. Like, it, it's pretty awesome. And uh, so anyway, uh, I said, who's the first person they contact? He said, well, the, they contact Helen and I just so we can update the prayer list. 
I said, you're shepherding, you're pastoring, that's what you're doing. And I said, Ken, I, I need you. Because I can't be at every outpatient surgery that your class has had. I just can't. Like, they're literally all having surgery at the same time, and I can't be everywhere at the same time. So I said, buddy, I need your help. I said, although I don't need to be at the outpatient surgery, I said, there's times that maybe someone's been in, in physical therapy, they've been in rehab, occupational rehab, whatever. They've, they've been checked in at a facility maybe for eight weeks, and I don't even know they're there. But when someone is in a spot and they need a visit from me, can you just please let me know? Will you do that? He's like, well, I can do that. I know when they're getting a little fussy. Good, Ken. When they're getting a little fussy, you let me know. We don't want anybody fussy. We want them to feel loved and, and just surrounded by a church family. So just, if you'll, if you'll let me know, I want to be there, but I need to know. So this went on for years. I mean, just such a good relationship. That class, um, talk about some pretty amazing saints. You know, just good, good group of people. So a few years later, Ken had COPD, which is tough because this guy didn't slow down. And now all of a sudden, because of breathing difficulties, he was tied to this machine in his living room. And I go visit him, and when we were over there, he looked at me and just kind of shook his head. And he said, Pastor, this is no way for a man like me to live. Like this, <laughs> this isn't it. You know, I want to be with my people. I've got shepherding to do, right? You know, he's not his head. And I go, I know, but it's time when you need shepherded just a little bit. That's okay. And Helen got up, and she went to the kitchen to go do something. I don't know what she was doing, but she got up to go to the kitchen, and he leaned forward and kind of smiled a little bit, and he said, hey, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm, I'm ready. And um, he said, I want you to know I'm not, I'm not scared to meet Jesus. I'm excited to be home. And he said, but will you do this? Will you make sure the church takes care of Helen for me? If I'm going to be gone, I just, you know, I want to make sure Helen's taken care of. So I need you to look me in the eye and tell me that you, know, you guys take care of Helen. That's important. So at the funeral for Ken, a lot of people got up to talk. And someone got up and said, you know, Ken was a, was a lifetime honorary member at the golf club because he had like eight holes in ones or something silly, you know. And, and um, maybe it wasn't. I made up that number. But it was a bunch. It was more than Helen. Helen had had three. And, and so they were both lifetime honorary members at the country club. And so they were saying, like, uh, he was good at whacking that ball. You know, he could hit a golf ball, and it would go into the hole. And so, you know, Ken was great. And then someone else got up and said, I worked side by side with him for three decades. You know, 30 years we worked. This was a man of character and integrity. And it was like all that stuff was good, and it was, you know, it was cute. It was great. It was fine. That stuff faded away. And you know what kept coming back time and time and time again? This is a man who finished his journey with faith like I've never seen. This was a man of faith. This was a man of faith. Let me tell you about his faith. Let me tell you about a guy who ached for home and knew he was nailing in this place, but he had faith. Eight holes in one in your lifetime, it was like that was nothing. It was all about his faith in the Lord. So here's the deal. I don't know what your I don't knows are. I don't know the fog that you may be in or that someone that you love may be in. But I'm telling you right now, stop and consider the power of the Lord. Stop and consider His power. Because what you're aching for isn't here. What you're truly aching for is a heavenly home. That's what you're aching for. And regardless 
of what happens, regardless of how rocky that next step may feel. Let's all finish well. Let's finish each step well. I think that's why David, when he got the ark and he was going back into Jerusalem, do you remember? He took six steps, and then what did he do? He stopped and he praised the Lord. He had a worship service because the Lord let him take six steps. And I don't, I don't know the fog you're in. I don't know the difficulty of each step. But let's keep pausing to worship and praise the Lord with every step we take. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us the gift of life today. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to take steps. Lord, I know I have brothers and sisters in Christ in here, and it's um, it's hard. Lord, they're facing, they're facing unthinkable challenges. So we're praying that you just continue to give the assurance that you are there and that you are God and that you are good. The hope we're looking for isn't in what we can accomplish, what we can achieve. The hope that we're looking for isn't in, in trying to make ourselves more puffed up and look better. The hope we're looking for is in you. We thank you for the hope that we have in the cross of Christ. We thank you for the redemption that we have, the salvation that we have through Jesus. And yet, Lord, even though we have salvation in Jesus, sometimes it's still hard because we're not God. We don't know. But you do. You do. Lord, I thank you for my friend Ken, and I thank you for the power of his testimony that still is encouraging me today. I pray that you use all of us in the same way in someone's life. That we're not known because we climbed mountains and slayed dragons. We're known because we have faith in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, at this time, I want to encourage you to stand as we finish our morning and worship together.